Everybody and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. I'm John Salinas, and I'm here with Aubrey Loveless, Danielle Renee. Hey, gang! Thanks so much for joining me for Book Club today. We're going to be discussing the four-issue miniseries Seed of Destruction. Before we dig in, I just want to make sure we talk about the proper pronunciation of the name of the creator of Hellboy, Mike Mignola, phonetically spelled M-I-N-Y-O-L-A. Thanks, Reddit user Middleway, Craig McKnight, and Mike Corley for giving us this info. Thank you. Yes, definitely. And I, you know, obviously, we all really very much respect Mike Mignola for his work. And, you know, we we met the guy. We met him. He's he's so nice and so gracious and really very sweet and very generous. So I, I definitely want to make sure that I respect him by saying his name correctly. I know yeah. that that would be really irritating. I'm sure it's happened his whole life. So Yeah, I get my last name mispronounced a lot. So I definitely don't want to do that to our, my favorite comic book artist. Happens to me as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so apologies to Mike Mignola for that, and we will definitely make sure to to say your name correctly. Say it, out, say it right here on out. I also want to say that if we ever get our facts wrong or make mispronunciations and the like, please let us know. We want to make sure that we're doing all the material justice. I want to give major love to all the people who have liked our Facebook page, subscribed to the podcast, followed us on Podbean, Instagram, or Twitter. I really want to encourage some participation for this book club. So contribute to the discussion on our social media thingers. I also want to shout out a particular Facebook page called Mike Mignola's Art. This page is run by Jerry Turnbull, who's kind of like a Hellboy historian. And the group has been such a positive social media experience for me. It's been one of the only reasons that I get on Facebook anymore and a huge influence for me to start this podcast. I love the discussion associated with the Mignolaverse, and I wanted to share that with my friends. So if you're on Facebook, you got to check out this page. You'll be the first to know anything and everything about Hellboy. You'll see cool fan art and uh, awesome Mignola art all day. Yeah, and I just oh, I want to add to what you were saying. That place is so positive. You you know you, normally when you get on Facebook, it's just you don't know what you're gonna get. It's just kind of like I'm it's so terrible. kind of burned out on the internet. You <laughs> you don't think of the internet as a place for civil discussion, but these people are so sweet. Everyone in there is so nice and supportive and kind. And anytime you post something. They're just really either very helpful or very sweet. It's just a very nice place to be. And you never, you don't really think of the internet as being like that. So, yeah. I'd also like to add thank you for introducing me to that page because before it was to me it was like every time I get on Facebook it's like, uh, yeah, the world is ending. <laughs> yes. But now it's like the world is ending. But hey, look at this really cool art by yes, Magnolia. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I, I'm really, I'm. John also, yeah, you turned me on to And Jerry is such a great guy, and so I'm really, yeah, he, he does a good job running that page. Currently, there's a raffle going on for some pretty amazing prizes by the aforementioned McKnight that you should check out. Proceeds go to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is a cause that Mignola has supported in the past. I mentioned this Facebook page because Jerry Turnbull has shared some images that added to our discussion from last week that I'd like to share. We talked about Next Men 21 on the last episode and laughed about how Mignola was referenced as a comic book artist who liked to draw monsters in the Next Men universe. Well, he is actually shown in Next Men issue 24. Jerry posted the image to our page, so thank you very much to the, for that. The page is hilarious. In, in it, you see uh, somebody is saying that they're going to sick Mignola on him, and he's like gurring menacingly. He also gets mad for them uh, using Hellboy guest starring in every book that they have, and they say, <laughs> "Beware the wrath of Mignola." And you can—are you going to put that on the social medias? Yes, all okay. this will be available for view. 
And then there's another page where a giant monster man uh, bursts into the room where they're all talking, and Mignola looks at him wide-eyed. Wow, great costume. Where can I get one done like that of Hellboy? And so that's pretty funny. <laughs> I also asked about the Fredonia Funny Works card, if anyone knew what month in 93 that that had come out. Well, Jerry pointed out that, duh, the back of the card says the anniversary is in 1992. So if this came out in 1992, it would actually predate Dime oh, Press number four okay. and San Diego Comics Con number two as the first appearance of Hellboy. Wow. So if you have this card, there's only 1,200 of them. So it's definitely a great piece of 90s foil goodness. <laughs> Probably the only thing uh, foil related that uh, actually made any money or is worth anything today. Um, and Jerry also uploaded a better scan of that on our page. So thanks so much. I just love the feedback. Another cool thing that Jerry posted was a page from Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, number three, where Marv is in a bar and one of the patrons is wearing a Hellboy shirt with the famous lettering. Very this, cool. Yeah, this is before Seed of Destruction, number one. I've actually read that Frank Miller was the one who told Mike that he should write a bunch of miniseries instead of a traditionally numbered book, which is a nice bit of trivia. Cool to see that he was supportive of Mignola and his creation in the beginning. And you can check out all these images, like I said, on our social media, guys. Thanks again for the listener feedback, book club members. Keep it coming after our discussion of Seed of Destruction. Seed of Destruction was released in March through June of 1994 by Dark Horse Comics, and so we're going to go ahead and dig into that issue now. Seed of Destruction number one opens up in 1994 in East Bromwich, England. We're reading the journal of Sergeant George Whitman. 1944? 1944. What did I say? 94. <laughs> <laughs> no, not 1994. Uh, it came out in 94, so maybe that's where I got uh, confused. We're introduced to the British Paranormal Society, who consists of Malcolm Frost, Trevor Broom, that's another kind of weird thing. So his name is phonetically, we, we got to make sure we're saying that right yeah, also. Yeah, definitely. I mean, who would think that Bruton is <laughs> pronounced Broom? Broom, yeah. Um, so the British Paranormal Society also consists of Lady Cynthia. We also got the Torch of Liberty there, who's kind of a neat character drinking a cup of Joe. I wonder, is, is this guy an actual superhero or is he just kind of like a, a guy in a costume? Very Captain America. Yeah, he, he definitely reminds me of that Captain America yeah. part uh, from the movie. Nazis yeah. On yeah. The movies in the land. <laughs> yeah, he's he he's a cool looking character. It's good to it's good to see him hanging there. The Nazis are in the final stage of Project Ragnarok. Lady Cynthia, she senses a priest and a nun. Um, they're spirits, and they say that something is coming. Meanwhile, on the Scottish coast, Rasputin is there, and he's looking pretty cool he's looking pretty metal with the two giant gauntlets and the uh project ragnarok logo on his robe there and he's in like this stonehenge thing and he's doing uh doing his little monologue there his little uh ceremony i guess uh, casting his spell didn't oh you're gonna have to remind me of his name uh adam savage is that his name yes. from Mythbusters? Yeah. Did he do a – he did kind of a replica thing. He's really – he's got like a whole workshop where he does this sort of stuff. And I really – he did such a great job on that. Yeah, I love Adam Savage's uh, videos. Yeah, it's really super cool. Yeah, you can check out a lot of cool videos where he does uh, really cool movie replicas. And he does a version of the one from the movie. Now, in the movie, he only wears one. Here in the book, he's got one on each hand. I was to say though, I think the movie also did a really good job of um, recreating right. the gauntlet look um, 
that you see here in the comic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're even going to see a lot of the dialogue um, straight from this uh, little scene ends up in the movie as well. The designers of that movie really did a good job of picking up on a lot of the the stylistic references from the book. Really good stuff. After Rasputin finishes uh, summoning, there's a, an explosion. Nothing happens on the Scottish coast, but in East Bromwich, there's a huge explosion, and we see the baby Hellboy, right? And we get this really famous quote from the movie, I promise Herr Hitler a miracle, I have made one. And so we see the, the, the little Hellboy there. The very first thing that happens is somebody freaks out, right? <laughs> Shoot it, kill it, it's a demon come from hell to destroy us all. That's Malcolm Frost. Everybody else seems pretty chill they with seem, the yeah, with, they're, they're with, pretty with okay the with it. Being there. Yeah, I just like how the look of like um he doesn't look dangerous to me. Yeah, right? he's, he seems okay. And we get that classic Hellboy picture at the bottom, the old school style picture and you can really see how big the the hand is. Yeah, you you start to get an idea right away that this okay, so it's it's inorganic. He's going to He's going to kind of grow into it, like right. a gigantic pair of shoes your mom gets you in second grade, and you're like, sure, you'll grow into it. <laughs> also say, I actually, um, I like the photo itself because, like, I've been a fan of this kind of, like, um, style of photo from, like, the World War II, like, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, in the way that he, uh, Mignolia, like, drew it, and he just really captured the He really sets it in history well. Yeah. But yeah, like you kind of get an idea that the hand, it's inorganic or something. It's not part of him. And he's, you know what I mean? He's not, it's not growing with him, which is the first kind of clue into this little mystery. Right. We enter on Professor Broom. He's um, in his office. It looks like he's listening to a video cassette. He's sick. Uh, He seems to have lost a lot of time and he can't remember things. Hellboy visits him and he, I noticed that he calls him sir. And even Hellboy notices how sick he looks. In the background, you get all these cool little statuaries, little uh, love, faces. Love, love, and... love the way he draws. Anything made of stone. The panels in Broom's office, you know, it's it's all kinds of artifacts and statues and reliefs. You know, like we were talking about the last episode, Mignola has this mastery of shadows. He allows negative space to do a lot of heavy lifting, which it gives the storytelling such an, a lovely ethereal quality. Right off the bat, right away, we're opening up on some great stuff. We've got immortal space monsters. We got dark magic wizards. We got evil science fiction machinery. <laughs> we're fighting Nazis. We're embroiled in this really fantastic mystery straight out of the gate. It just it draws you in a few pages in, and I'm just, yeah, give me more of this. And so immediately we're in this weird office with all this kind of weird stuff, and I'm I'm digging it. I'm such a sucker for all of this. Yes. Broom recalls the expedition in the Arctic, and um, he's there with a team of other people. In there, uh, in this giant cave, they find a giant monster and man that look like a statue. I love I love me some mysterious expeditions to the Arctic yes. to uncover ancient, horrible mysteries of an arcane nature. It's taken nine generations to get there. He's packing all these really fantastic classic you know premises in there at once i'm like i said i'm just such a huge sucker for it i mean it i'm not trying to say it's on it's it's a very original story but there's all these kind of little tropes in there that i really enjoy the whole you'll go mad if you look upon it your tiny human mind cannot conceive of the vast dimensions of the realms outside of your understanding the thing's always a winner with me 
Yes. No, I, I, I do like those trips, too, because they're, you know, like you said, there are different stories where people go to the Arctic to find. Yeah. I mean, even Superman well, has, super his, good. has his house in the Arctic. <laughs> it's never going to go well, though. You know what I mean? And so that's right away you're you're like, yes, you're going to get something really horrific. And so Mignola's sense of storytelling is so strong. The art the art really tells the story. It blows me away. Of course, now with the uh, current conditions on our world, I mean, all those frozen artifacts are going to be sinking to the ocean <laughs> right. floor. They're they're gonna, gonna, we're going to have Cthulhu kind of floating, they're gonna all floating past out. the gulf. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be seeing them soon. <laughs> Broom wipes uh, the dirt off, I guess, the statue, and the eye opens. And that's all that he really remembers. He says that all he remembers after that is jumping overboard and swimming home for for uh, an old guy like him that's that's a uh, that's quite a feat for him to uh jump overboard and, and and swim all the way home yeah i know he must be like what in his late 60s yeah. early 70s yeah. it's been like 50 years since hellboy came into the world right well the yes. reveal that reveal with rasputin when the dust or the grime or whatever is wiped from his face first of all it's just a very cool shot it's very simple and to the point yeah it works really well but also you realize that the, the monster's probably not a statue either so we might be in for mm. some trouble which i just it's such an effective he really gets to the point with this page and I, I love it it's um and also i love there's kind of a line there um while they're entering the space like the age of all the world was crammed into that space now who's writing right. the actual script here that's john Thank Byrne, you for bringing right? that up yes uh so the credits on this issue are uh, John Byrne scripted it. Uh, Mignola is credited with the art and the plot. So he kind of plotted out the story, and then Byrne went and uh, put in all the dialogue, which is, you know, kind of reminiscent of the of the Marvel way or whatever, right? The- oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's why, like, you know, Stan Lee started back in the day. You know, he'd, like, go, give me this, and then the artist would draw something, and then he'd come back in and do all the dialogue. What yeah. if he's a spider, but he's also a man? <laughs> Go figure that out for Yeah, me. I guess I'll just draw a whole a whole world-building thing here for you. <laughs> He's like, yes, yes, I'll do all the heavy lifting. Uh, you come back in later. No disrespect to any writers. Right, of course. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> it looks like 10 months have... A, Broom has lost about 10 months while he's recalling and trying to remember. We see the frogs, right? Uh, Hellboy notices that, that they have frogs, and Broom freaks out. He runs out of the room. I love this panel where he says, save yourself, just kind of the desperation and the motion from him as all the papers are flying up off the desk because he moved so quickly. It really captures just how freaked out he is by just seeing a frog. Yeah, so I love Hellboy's look on his face here because it reminds me of this one time when I was um, in high school. I was about 16 or 17. My brother Jeremy and I, we were sitting there around my um, end table doing homework and I look down and, you know, look down at the floor and I see this snake just kind of slither in between the end table and the wall and go behind my bed. And (laughs) Snakes are cute. I I am definitely afraid of snakes. And without doing anything, I just bolted out of the room. (laughs) And I run into the living room and I'm like yelling at my mom, there's a snake, there's a snake. And then all of a sudden I'm like, uh, I left Jeremy and I run back in. in I run back into the room, and Jeremy's got this look on his face. It's just like Hellboy's look um, at Broom like when he runs out of the room for frogs. Like, uh, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I forgot to tell you that there's a snake in here. What kind of snake? It's just like a little garden snake, or was it like a coral snake? Or You know, I'm, I'm not actually sure. You didn't even sure. catch a <laughs> I, I All I know is that it was a snake, and I... And you were I'm out a, of there. I'm afraid of them. I, you know, I don't hate them. You know, snakes are fine. They can live in their own world. <laughs> 
and I can live in my own world, and we can all go our own way. Oh, incidentally, my mom got that snake for me. Aw. And then I wouldn't sleep in that room for like six months. <laughs> she put it in the garden, take care of those take care of those mice. Yeah, there you go. Hellboy questions Broom again, he calls out for him, and Broom comes crashing through the door that he just ran out of, and he's he's covered with lesions all over his face and body and he's pretty dead so wow you know we're just introduced to this character a character who's pretty prominent in the hellboy lore and he's already out he's already been 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 taken out by the by the frogs which kind of gives you the impression okay well i guess anyone can go this is kind of an important dude right Right. so exactly so hellboy runs out and he confronts the frog they have this awesome fight. I love how in the beginning most of it is just kind of silhouettes. You don't really see a lot of detail, but it is still some amazing imagery with like these giant tombstones or something in the background. I, I guess don't know. Professor Broom collects tombstones. That's pretty metal. <laughs> That's pretty great. It might just be Mignola really likes drawing creepy tombstones kind of a thing. During the fight, the frog monster gets Hellboy on his regular hand with his tongue. And Hellboy, um, his arm gets numb, so he says it, it might as well be made of wood. So we, we get a sense of the frog monster's powers here. They continue to fight, and this time Hellboy gives him the right hand of doom. Yeah, we've got we've got more to the mystery now. We've, we're right away, we're back into the mystery of the right hand. We don't know a whole lot yet. We know that it doesn't feel pain. There's lots of scientists have tried to figure it out, and they can't. We're... We're left wondering, which is great. Mignola is so great at making us want more. He leaves so much to the imagination. It's a very smart storytelling move. He's, he's set up a world that could be almost anything, right? And you want to get involved. You want to be on this team of paranormal investigators. It's, it's such a cool move to be like, hey, here's a weird thing. What is it? We don't know. But it's, it's intriguing, and the visual design of it pulls you in. The story keeps you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like uh, reading an interview not too long ago with uh, Mignola, and he talked about how when he um, was writing the story, he didn't really know where it was going to go. He was just kind of like, he was just writing the story and just kind of letting it flow out of him. And it really reminded me a lot of when I, I just finished reading The Dark Tower, and same thing Stephen King right, said, right. because he's like, I don't know where the story goes. It just comes out of me, and it's like, I'm not writing it. It's telling itself, and I'm just the conduit. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really interesting. I also like how Hellboy, you know, he tried it with the uh, with his regular hand, and it got numb. So he, now he tries the other hand. So there is some strategy. He does know how to fight a little bit, and he swings the frog monster into this sarcophagus that shatters. I love all the debris that capture of motion there. Also, I have to say, like, I really enjoy how like. He goes in to fight this frog monster. The details on, on the art in the background kind of just get less and less, and you're just really left with, like, silhouettes on color. Right. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful look. And then when the fight ends, the detail starts coming back into the panels. Right. Almost giving it a sense of, of motion, right? Because you wouldn't really be seeing those details if it were a movie, if it were camera work. It would just be kind of a blur in the background. Right, right. Yeah. Hellboy uh, gets his gun, and he reveals that the gun is was given him, to him by the Torch of Liberty, who we saw in the very beginning. So I guess they had a relationship at some point, or they, they, they were buddies at some point. Well, here and also we find out he's been hurt by experts. That doesn't sound pleasant. Oh, man, yeah. That so doesn't he's been, sound he's good. He's been experimented on. The frog monster goes to run away now, and Hellboy uh, shoots him. He shoots him uh, over the commode. I, I, I love this. Uh, what falls from the top of the commode is a frog monster. What hits the floor isn't. And you see the bones and frog goop uh, fall to the ground. 
I've never heard anyone outside of my grandparents use this word for toilet commode. <laughs> well, apparently Hellboy does. It he, gives you a sense of he's his old, age, guess, yeah. yeah right? We uh, next we see the 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 BPRD building and per, and uh, Hellboy is talking to Doctor Manning here. I was just say I, I really like the design of the uh, building, and I was like looking through the back um, on the notes in the omnibus where Magnolia was like sketching it out, and he said that he based it on he ended up basing it up on Frank Lloyd Wright's House Falling Water. Oh wow! And oh, um, good job there. I don't know if anybody else is a fan of like architecture. Yeah, no, but, that's super um, interesting. You know, his, his Frank Lloyd Wright's work is very iconic. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah. that's really interesting, Aubrey. I didn't catch that. Really cool. Here it shows Manning and Hellboy have a pretty good relationship. In the movie, they have kind of a contentious relationship, but you can see here he tells Hellboy he can uh, assemble his own team. He also uh, tells him that he's very sorry about Professor Broom. He knew that they were close, so that's pretty interesting. We cut over to an old lady sitting amongst some creepy old uh, pictures. Whenever you see all those old pictures, that's, that's usually not a good sign either. She's talking to some mysterious person in the background, saying, He is dead. We are proceeding. And she says, Then, will you keep your promise? Yes, Emma, soon. And we see this cool little shot of a frog coming out of a cup. He's so cute. I, I will admit, when I first read when I read this through the first time, I thought, Is the frog talking to her? <laughs> it, it was when I read it the second time. And yes, I did read it twice in the last couple like of days. There's like a mysterious guy back there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, but the frog in the teacup is super cute. And that's where our issue ends. So it, it leaves it on this mysterious cliffhanger. It leaves us wanting more. And the last thing I want to talk about is this Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense file. It's file 267999 about Project Ragnarok, the final destiny. And so here we get a little the bit fatal, of... The facial destiny? Oh, I'm sorry. The yeah, you don't destiny. want you don't want the nerds emailing you about that. Okay. Well, actually, I do want the nerds emailing me. You can email if you want, anyway. I, I, I it's a playful, it's a playful <laughs> term when I when I say nerds. By the way, I of don't course. I don't mean in, in that in a disparaging way. Of course, we do want to hear from you. Go ahead and email us. That consists of all of us here. I we're, tease, we're, we're I all, tease because I love. And we get some information about some people who are going to be some villains for Hellboy. So we see Leopold Kurtz, Ilsa Hopstein, Professor Doctor. Carl Rupert Cronin. I've never heard Professor Doctor before. Is that a title, Professor Doctor? I guess if you have enough PhDs, you can call yourself whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, if you spent that much time in school, you're probably one of those guys who's like, I am a professor and a doctor. It's probably yeah. a professor thing. Doctor. It's probably a thing. We, looks, we don't like know anyone who would be a Professor Doctor personally. I bet, there's, I bet <laughs> that, that's that a thing. That is true. We also have a mysterious person, name unknown, whereabouts unknown. So we see this kind of bald character with the beard. Maybe we'll be seeing more. We'll be seeing more of him is later. Neil Fallon? Maybe, maybe the singer from <laughs> Clutch is in the is in. No, Neil would never be in Project Ragnarok. He would definitely never hang with Nazis for sure. And so I just want to say, fuck these Nazis. I'm excited to see their asses handed to them in the next whatever couple of books. Hopefully. All right, we'll be right back. An African myth about a frog. On a day when little water was to be found, man spent a while in thought and realized that he might one day die, never to rise again. Man sent dog to God to ask that he might come back to life again, like the flowering plant after death. Dog went off and followed his nose towards God. He was soon distracted by the smell of soup and followed his hunger towards the source. 
leaning close to watch it boil, Dog was content and forgot his mission. Seeing that Dog was lost, Frog took it upon himself to go to God and tell him that man did not want to live again. If man were to be reborn, thought Frog, he would soon muddy the rivers and destroy the birthplaces of frogs. Dog finally arrived to tell God man's message. Leaning low, he crooned man's need for rebirth in the song of his howl. God was touched by the devotion of Dog for man. But God granted the frog's wish, because he got there first. And we're back. We're talking about Seed of Destruction Issue 2. I just want to bring up this cover image really quick. It's Hellboy being wrapped up by a giant tentacle. Classic Hellboy imagery. (laughs) Um, My brother has a tattoo of Hellboy wrapped up with a tentacle monster. There's a Christmas ornament of Hellboy wrapped up with a tentacle around him. It's just just, Hellboy and a giant tentacle. They they go hand in hand. And this cover is just uh, really classic, really great. I, I love it. So uh, at the beginning of issue two, we're introduced to Cavendish Hall. Cavendish Full Hall. Full Lovecraft. Yeah. Full on Lovecraft. It's a cursed sinking house that the Indians kept away from. It's supposedly haunted and it looks pretty creepy. So that's kind of where we're starting our mission with the BPRD. I want to say on this one panel here, looking at the house, it feels like it's one of the few uses of gradients that I've seen. Mm. Because like in a lot of it's all like just solid colors, but you get this nice little purple up into the pink yeah. right before it gets to the blue and you know i mean i guess in like the early 90s they didn't really it was really you know the printing process was more of that whole four color printing process and things like that but once you know digital coloring came in gradients and things like that became a lot easier to do right on our next page we're introduced to the bprd we're introduced this is the first appearance of liz sherman and abe sapien yeah liz and abe liz oh, shows man. her badge uh to miss cavendish and it's got the bprd logo on there abe is in the Weird as disguise. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen him in, in this disguise in, in, in any other uh, story, but he's got like this big overcoat and a hat that's kind of hiding his features. At this point in the story, we don't we don't know. Liz appears to be sporting quite a jaunty oh, little, uh, yeah. what the heck is that called? A beret? Yes, it's a beret. <laughs> and those like nice wide lapels on her jacket. Yeah. yeah. Miss Cavendish, uh, she welcomes the BPRD members. Uh, she introduces them to their dorm- to her doorman. They go into her apartment and they start talking. Hellboy immediately brings up the the frogs and her sons uh, who went on this weird expedition with uh, Professor Broom. She she tells them what what she knows about it. And she does mention that Abe looks pale and unwell in his disguise there. Miss Cavendish, she gives us the whole legend of uh, Alihu Cavendish. He was a whaler who found this parchment. I love this little, pl- this oh, little love panel that. where it I love says so his travels had taken him around the world and back two dozen times. In strange ports, he learned strange things. And it's got like these little masks grouped together. I really love all those little atmospheric touches. That well, he puts I'm, in there. I'm, a, I'm a sucker for the parchment itself. You oh, know, yeah. <laughs> Mignola took it upon himself to actually, he's like, I'm going to draw all these sigils, these glyphs on the parchment. And he's scary good at sigils. He's almost too good at it. Cavendish became obsessed with this uh, parchment. And he died before he could investigate it. So for now, eight generations have been obsessed with finding out the meanings of this parchment. And they've all gone on expeditions and have all died. At the end of her speech, I just love this. And soon, very soon, I will die. And this horrid old house will sink at last into the black waters of the lake and be hidden forever from the eyes of God. Hellboy's just like, sorry about it. <laughs> 
Well, I, I do love that shot of Hellboy Abe and Liz right there at the bottom, all silhouetted, and it's just like Hellboy. Sorry, and, man. And this is the this is the first time that we see Liz's little cross that she wears. Um, she's always got that cross on. That kind of almost becomes her costume as the series goes on. So this is the first time that we we kind of see that. We get sort of an intro to Liz here too, which I love um, how this is done. Uh, well, we learned she's got pyrokinesis, pyrokinetic abilities that manifest when she's young, accidentally kills her whole family, all that stuff. But the dossier as intro is such a great vehicle because you can even have an opinion on the tone of the dossier oh, itself, yeah. which hides the vehicle very well. Hellboy's like, oh, it's so cold and unfeeling dossier about Liz. But you get all the information you need. Time to move on. I love it. There's no long, you know, kind of, there's no long. Right. Yeah. Expo- we, we there's no, there's no long exposition. We don't need a big origin story. The it's exposition kind of... is very simple. I, I love that. It's just moving on. Love it. But right before they're escorted to their room, we do see from the shadows this familiar face that's uh, kind of the mystery benefactor talking to Miss Cavendish. We reveal at this point that Hellboy has been baited, you know, the team has been baited there under the promise that. Uh, this benefactor was going to return her two oldest boys to her. And so that panel ends. He says, children, come and kiss your mother goodnight before we cut over to to what the BPRD are doing. So that's a, that's a little creepy, I guess. Um, he, this benefactor has her sons, and he's going to reunite them. Well, I also like how she calls him, calls Hellboy, Mr. Boy. Mr. Mr. Boy. Mr. Boy, yeah, we didn't talk about that. That's really good. <laughs> it, threw, yeah. it threw me for a loop when I read it. I was just like, what? She's not going to say Hellboy. She's a very proper lady. Very, very proper. It's just yeah. And we've got we've got fire and water here. The juxtaposition maybe makes up the strength of the team. It's a solid team. They they seem oh, like yeah. they've been working together for a while. You know, here we are, a team of misfits. We're taking on the baddies. It's classic. It's just archetypes. So just mm-hmm. you know, again, there's nothing wrong with this formula as far as I'm concerned. I'm <laughs> I'm such a sucker for all of it. The team are uh, Hellboy and Abe are talking in their room, and they realize that. The doorman is one of the people from the expedition that went that uh, Mr. Broom had gone on, uh, Sven Olafsson. They're already kind of sensing trouble since they know that this guy has gone missing, and now here he is the doorman at Cavendish Hall. They form a plan, and here Abe reveals uh, that he's a fish man. So here's the first time that we see Abe in all his fish glory. We get kind of a sense of his origin story as well. He was found in a tube. On April 14th, 1865, which is the day that Lincoln died, hence Abe Sapien. And I love this as he jumps out of the out of the hall window into the water. He doesn't even make a sound as he slices into the dark water, which is, uh, I just thought that was a really good descriptor for him. We get Hellboy and Liz talking on the phone, and they also realize These that... These very... Very 90s phones. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Those, um, you probably couldn't go very far from the receiver. These gigantic with those, right? phones. You, you had to stay in pretty those close proximity. Gigantic cordless phones that I always wanted, you know, because, like, oh, they were cordless. Liz and Hellboy are also talking about how the butler is somebody from the expedition, and Liz notices that there's frogs in the room. And Hellboy, he freaks out just like Professor Broom did in the very beginning. He runs to Liz's room, he bashes her door down, and she's gone. And these two little frogs are just kind of looking. I like that little... They, they look very innocent, but also very ominous. Here the doorman comes to ask if there's a problem. Hellboy immediately confronts him on what's going on. And Sven Olofsson turns into a giant frog monster. He's one of the giant frog monsters. And then so there's an awesome fight scene between Hellboy 
and um, Sven as a giant frog. I like how he talks about his right-handed doom as being like, in a fight, it's better than a sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the more the more this right hand of doom, the more this get, gets mentioned in the story, the more you're sort of realizing this is going to end up being the center of the story. It, it's becoming more and more apparent that this is important, and you kind of can't stop paying attention to it as well. It's it's very prominent feature on on Hellboy's character. So well, I'm I'm looking forward to figuring out what the heck this thing is. Right. I hope it doesn't take a long time to figure out what this thing <laughs> well, is. Oh, I hope you're. You're 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 in for a treat, Danielle. I love this where it says, uh, "I land on my feet and I land mad." And we see Hellboy fighting the monster, and it's all a big red backdrop. This is maybe the first appearance of Hellboy's fury, right? Um, we know that Hellboy he gets very angry at some points. He's unable to control it, and I think this is maybe the the first time that we see that that fury come out with the red background. Really, Abe is the only one in in true control of his. Of his shit. He's like, he's the only one that's got his shit together, really. They continue to fight. They fall out of a window. I love this panel as they're they're falling down. There, there's no um, words or anything. It's just, uh, it's just the two of them uh, going through the air. And Hellboy uh, gets a giant vase and smashes it over him, f- uh, over Sven Olaf's head. Well, that's all for you, he says. And then we cut over to Abe. Underwater, Abe has found this sinking basement. And I love this where he pops out of the water and it says a place of new death too, where it's got Abe kind of standing there on guard, looking around with his giant statue behind him. I just really love that panel. We, we, find a, we finally got an A and a B plot too, which is always, yeah. always great. Well, I also like how when he's uh, <clears throat> swimming down through the water, he says like there's no, nothing alive down here. Right. No animals, no fish, not even the yeah. algae. And he's like, it's like swimming through ink. Yeah. yeah. Very creepy. We cut back to Cavendish Hall. Hellboy goes looking for Miss Cavendish, and he finds her all covered with those same lesions, um, and she's dead. And here, the benefactor reveals himself to Hellboy. He says that she died in the last uh, loving embrace of her children, so I guess her children are the the frog monsters. And And, uh, Talks about how Hellboy killed the third one when he killed, I guess, the one they took out room. Right, exactly. So that's pretty creepy, you know, um... Uh, your, your your sons, you want to be reunited with your family, and they're these kind of frog monsters, and so... It's kind of creepy. It's yeah. extremely yeah. creepy. And just kind of hugging her or embracing her, that's it. You know, she's dead. Yeah. Hellboy recognizes the voice. Rasputin reveals that he's the one who summoned Hellboy 50 years ago. And uh, he's going to go on his monologue here. Hellboy reaches for his gun... And a giant tentacle, just like we saw on the cover, comes out of the bottom. Hellboy's uh, surprised by this, obviously. The tentacles are like the frog thing's touch. At their touch, I go numb all over. And I just love him straining against um, the weight of all those tentacles around him. You really get a sense that it's um, it's really kind of constricting on him really tightly. Manuela has a great sense of movement. He's got a great sense of weight. It's, it's all there. Yeah, and I like how it just looks like, you know... You can definitely see it's just kind of pull, slowly pulling him through that Well, that wire. last splash page, yeah, yeah, where he's just, oh, yeah. It's just his reaching. hand, yeah. Moving on to issue number three. I love the cover again of issue number three. It's got, a, it's got Rasputin very creepily over the body of Hellboy with the giant, just the massive tentacle monster behind him. Down in the cavern, where Hellboy's fallen, he's looking around and Rasputin's given his... 
evil villain monologue explaining all the things to us, right? So this Class- uh, classic I, villain, classic, stuff. Yes, classic. I, I, so I guess this cave, this cavern, has been here for eight hundred years. People have been worshiping the serpent here, and he's a little pissed. He's like, they didn't know what they were doing. I'm too. I'm the coolest one. I know right. how I figured it out. They weren't. T- they weren't as cool as me. Well, he's right. like, they were sacrificing the blood, and the, he's like, the serpent didn't want blood. Dumb. He wants freedom. <laughs> Uh, I love the little cutaways to the evil-looking statue faces while he's talking. He also mentions the serpent Ogdru Jihad, the seven beasts that spoke to him and they whispered to him. Whispers in dreams. Yeah. So you get another, you get another little Cthulhu-esque sort of a deal there. Rasputin talks about that he uh, summoned Hellboy fifty years ago to stand beside him at Ragnarok to command the power. Right. This is his purpose. This is his destiny. Of course, Hellboy wants nothing to do with that. And so he takes out his gun. He says, get stuffed. And he shoots Rasputin in the face. And Rasputin turns around and looks at him. And uh, what, what what kind of sound do you think he makes there? What is that sound? That's the whole thing that I love about this panel. The speech balloon or word bubble, whatever you want to refer to as. It's just the sigil. It's so good. It's so effective. It's such a simple, powerful way to get across the punch of that moment. You don't need to be able to. You Maybe you cannot express that in human any human language on the face of this earth. And that's what's so scary about it. I love it's so effective, and that's something you can really only do. Well, I guess you could do it in a movie. I mean, you could. If 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 a director were bold enough to let right. that happen to where instead of a speech you just saw a sigil, but I think that right. really this medium is so perfect for it because you're hearing these voices in your head, and when you see that, you hear this arcane, otherworldly thing that you can't pronounce, but obviously this character can, and it's just so effective. Oh, I love it. It says he he doesn't utter so much as a squeak, so I guess it sounds some it's it's not a very loud sound, but the air rings like some great frozen bell. So that's a pretty good descriptor. I still don't know what that would the sound like. The air rings but... like a fo- like can you imagine? It's it's yeah. something yeah. you can't comprehend with your little tiny human brain. Right. I mean, it's if it just feels like it's like something that's just so ancient and. Um, otherworldly like you were saying yes and you just can't really describe it so you describe it the best way you can right i just love that so much here we get a little tidbit hellboy mentions that he's been a paranormal investigator for 40 years so if he's 50 years old then that means he started paranormally investigating at 10 which is um i guess he matures faster than other people so I guess maybe that would put him like maybe teenage years or something like that. Well, and we're also given a sense of how long he's been doing this by that little shot um, at the bottom of the page here with the charms, the talismans he's collected. So we very quickly get a sense of his long and storied experience with various magics of various cultures without slowing the action at all. Just here, just show it all in, in one panel. Here's all the things he's got. Here's where we get a sense of Rasputin's origins. He says that you're not the the first who tried to destroy me. Um, he talks about all the different ways that he's been killed over the years, but it's his destiny to preside over the fall of mankind. And then again, here comes a giant frog monster. So is this 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 is Sven again, right? Yeah, it's so still he Sven. he so when Hellboy smashed him over the head with the vase, he didn't die because here he is. He's back again, and he's even bigger this time. He's transformed into a more animalistic frog monster more powerful than the other ones who still had a flicker of their human frailties inside we cut back to abe abe is looking around in this cavern that he i guess it's the basement of cavendish hall that he found 
and he's getting accustomed to looking into this place, but he's still thoroughly creeped out. And we just get a lot of really cool images, some skulls, some skeletons in a in some sort of crypt. We get a weird frog in this quote, If God choose, I shall but love thee better after death which is really kind of um, appropriate with what we're going to see next. The two remaining frog brothers with their dead mom taking her into the water. Now here's something that we kind of see a lot with uh, different Hellboy villains is they have like a sympathetic nature, you know? I think that there's this shot where I guess the frog monsters turn around and they see Abe, they notice him. And just that look on They're on not its just face. brainless. They're really, you know. Yeah. yeah and it, was... it, it really makes you feel kind of bad for them. It really is a tragic thing that has happened to these two brothers and their mom. Yeah, I was going to say that because, like, a few panels back where it said Rasputin said, you know, they still had a shred of their humanity. And the next shot we see of them is they're creating, they're holding their dead mom. Right. And they take her under the water. And it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of very a sad moment yeah the, um, it really is for, the, uh, for you to feel for these monsters yeah that's one of the things that Mignola does best and Abe even uh, mentions that he shares a strange kinship with the amphibians he reaches out to lean on a wall and it gives way underneath and he sees something that looks like the ghost of Elu Cavendish the person who initially found that parchment and the wasn't he also the one who built the house Yes, correct. He also built the house. And he's standing there with a harpoon. We cut back to Hellboy fighting uh, Sven as the frog monster. And they have a pretty they, they have a pretty epic fight here. He looks like he's grown even bigger from the last frog monster. And he also kind of starts to resemble... Um, in the movie, they do the... Uh, what is the... The the thing from the movie? They, they don't use a frog monster. Oh, the little henchman? No, it's... um. God, I can't remember it now. Ugh, it's frustrating. Um, but instead of the frog monster, they have they they have a different kind of creature that Hellboy's fighting. I have watched that movie exactly one time. I just watched it again the other day. <laughs> I should know this. I kind of feel like the design of the mouth and stuff like that kind of looks like the one that they use for the movie. Anyway, on the next episode, we'll be like, this is what it was called. People uh, are, it was, it was nerds that, are going to uh, be yelling at us all day tomorrow. So It was that monster when he died. It we turn into two monsters. Yes. Uh-huh. yes. We're not talking about the movie anyway, so yeah. we'll talk about that another time. Hellboy and the frog monster go into the water. Um, their fight continues, and there's just a lot of really great stuff. Frog monster grabs Hellboy by his foot, bangs him into a wall, and is tossing him around. Rasputin calls him off, and here he kind of gives him some of his background. We get kind of a sense of, of Rasputin's timeline. He spent 20 years living in isolation and kind of just uh, thinking about Project Ragnarok, planning Project Ragnarok, waiting for a sign. He was approached by the Nazis to come work for them, and he took it so that way he could have unlimited resources. I like hearing his backstory. There's the ape with the bolts in his neck that Mignola was like, I just like drawing apes with bolts in their necks. Yeah. Know. And the Nazi head in the jar yeah, so and all that like stuff that we just read about. Brutus and uh, Hermann von Krupt. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Or von Klempt, I believe. Uh, Hermann von Klempt is the head of the jar. And Brutus. Oh, Samael. That's what it was. Samael. Thanks, thank you, Aubrey. Thanks, Obs with the save, yeah. with, the, with the 
Give it a goog, Zobs. Give it a goog, The Googletron. Um, so we also see in this picture uh, the people from that BPRD briefing. We also see Leopold, Cronin, and Ilsa Hopstein. And then there's some other pretty evil, shady-looking people in there. He describes the Ragnarok engine. Here we see the Project Ragnarok logo. And that's kind of like I was talking about uh, the story where Hellboy fought that giant dog monster and there was a scarab with the with the swastika. That kind of reminds me of this uh, Project Project Ragnarok logo that we see here. I also like how uh, Rasputin, Rasputin talks about, like, he let them think that it was their idea and he kind of sort right. of influences them from, you know. and He's got all his evil magic. This is a guy who thinks Nazis are are thinking small. Here right. with their yeah. evil plan, he's like evil. Uh, it's small time, and as you know, as you and I know, Nazis are like the most ultimate evil this world's ever seen. So it's that's we're dealing with somebody who's dealing with evil on a scale that's something we can't comprehend. Sure. Which makes it it's like if you're trying to make Nazis look like small small potatoes, you're you know you're you're really trying to build this guy. He's really gassing him up. It's to the character of Rasputin, who was the advisor to the um, the Romanovs, right? And right. They were there was all the rumors about him kind oh, of secretly right, right. controlling them from uh, yeah from behind. I love that. I love that. So we see uh, Rasputin use astrology and numerology to find the right place to do the ceremony to summon Hellboy. The Nazis thought he he had failed, and soon after they were they were defeated. But Rasputin kept listening to the voices, and they called him to go north to the Arctic Waste at the very top of the world. And with a handful of paid companions, they all went up there. It looks like he killed all those people. Their sacrifices were sufficient to sustain him to complete the journey. And he found this giant monster statue that we saw in the first issue. So, like Danielle was saying, it's not a giant monster statue. It's a giant monster named Saduhem. And Saduhem was left by the Ogdra Jihad, so that way they would always have a foothold in the world. So Rasputin seated himself at the foot of the statue and went deep into his mind and stayed there. He talks about the void where you get more Kirby Crackle here, all the other jihads. Oh, Kirby Crackle. I love that. And we get all the jihads. Nurgle, Noon, all that stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. One question really quick. I mean, now, did he eat his other companions or did he, like, suck their life force? I get more of a sense he just sucked the life. Because he mentioned souls. Their souls were small, but they sustained me. So, I mean, you know, it's probably some sort of evil magic type of deal. Yeah. 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 Who knows? That's how I would have done it. I don't know about you. I, you know, I, I mean, I'm if not I'm going to be an evil, that's a lot of work. If I'm going to be an evil wizard, you might as well. You might as well, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> here we kind of uh, go back to the story that Broom was telling when he found the statue, and so here we get it from Rasputin's point of view. He was awakened by the touch of of Professor Broom, and when Professor Broom touched him, he kind of saw everything inside of him and saw that Hellboy was connected to him. I just want to talk real quick about this quote: "Seeming as a moment, seeming as a century." It really seizes on something uneasy and unsettling about the nature of dreams as experienced in life by, I don't know about, I don't want to speak for you, but I've experienced that fairly, it's fairly common, I think, but unexplainable. That connection to that mysterious quality, the ability to tap into that kind of unsettling, formless fear is something that Mignola and also John Byrne, apparently, and Lovecraft all possess. It's it's probably part of why Mignola dedicated, I guess, that book in part to right. Lovecraft. But wrapped as they were in darkness dreaming, yes, kind of a little nod, a little bit, I think. Oh, yeah, darkness I hate to keep dreaming. coming back no, to no. that, but I, you know. It's definitely an influence. I don't want to uh, I don't want to say that these parallels are so overwhelming that it's, it's obviously a, its own story, and it's obviously very unique and very creative story. It's just... I, I pick up these little tiny nods here and there. 
So Saduhem wanted to eat all the exp- uh, the expedition croup, but Rasputin convinced him to uh, turn them into these frog monsters and have them be a vessel for the seed of the great serpent. This is kind of Rasputin monologuing over Hellboy and explaining his, his grand plan. At last, my patience was doubly rewarded. You arrived and you came with an unanticipated bonus. And so here we see Liz again. She's been captured and he's going to use her as like a, a, a conduit, I guess, using her power. I love this panel in the middle with Liz yes, um, dog. kind of looking down with the little kind of flame coming off of her head. That quote from Rasputin about Liz, her power as a living thing, every bit as much alive as you or I, it needs room to breathe and grow. Fire as a living thing, the behavior of fire is such a mysterious kind of thing that a lot, you know, a lot of people have talked about. And of course, modern science is uh, obviously fire is not alive, but fire in a sense to a lot of people, there have been a lot of discussions over the centuries of fire as a living thing. And so it's just it's really an interesting kind of a archetypal idea almost that i really dig i also like how he dismisses the scientists he calls them like hand ham-handed doctors and they're so-called scientists who probed and prodded her for years right so now he's done monologuing even tells hellboy this pleasant chat it's time to end this pleasant little chat saduhem is much improved from his former condition and we reveal this giant massive saduhem tentacled monster and it is just amazing Super i love good. the way this Give thing me more looks of this. i mean it looks it's, like it's just like a ball with tentacles shooting out everywhere yeah, it, it, like, i like it's, a little hive right there in the middle yeah it's kind of formless there's like these little claws and almost like snail shell curled tentacles wrapped up just really great on the next page, we see the Kirby crackles again. He's adding Liz to his power, and he's going to call the Agra Jihad back into the Earth. And so Hellboy tells him to go to hell, and he says that hell is coming here. That's uh, not good. That's, doesn't that, sound good. That is not a good thing. And Hellboy's just left wondering where Abe is. It's probably going to look cool. And here we see Abe collapsed on the ground with this creepy ghost of Elihu Cavendish kind of standing over him with the harpoon. And that's the end of that issue. I want to say, like, this one little picture of um, Hellboy again, you also see the use of gradient one, another time in here. Right. Where it goes from, like, but this time it's, like, showing the light on him. And it's usually, you know, he's always in shadow. You don't see a lot of that, yeah. yeah. And so this time it's, like, you see a little bit of light coming from behind him. Yeah. And I like his nose. You can kind of see his nose. I always like when you can kind of make out some of the features of his face. And so that's a good shot right there. All right. Chapter four, issue four of Seed of Destruction. The summoning monologue. Yeah. So here, uh, Rasputin, he's got Liz next to him and he's kind of using her power, sucking her power from her. And he's doing the a similar kind of ceremony like he did when he uh, summoned Hellboy. Well, it's like he's re- um, saying the exact same things that he was saying at the beginning, but this time he's actually adding the demon names in right. between. Uh, it's like you can almost hear it like booming in your voice yeah. as, as he's saying it. And here's a giant a giant light is coming down onto Cavendish Hall as all this is happening. He goes into the summoning monologue. You've got like a purple vo- vortex of the void. You've got all the Kirby crackle. You see the Ogdru Jihad. It's a great design. Very satisfying line work. Yeah. I don't really, it's just it's so satisfying to look at. It's really creepy, but it's really super good. The classic booms, mm-hmm. gigantic booms, love those. 
I love some it, some classic booms. And you get a glimpse at these like space guys. And you immediately get a sense from their dialogue and the visual design that there's some kind of watchtower guys. They're keeping an eye on oh, the Ogdu yeah, Jihad yeah. just by the nature of the fact that they're they have language among themselves to describe what's going on in the first place. You there's no long giant <laughs> exposition. It's just here you are, here they are, here's the situation. You immediately know what's going on. Mignola does such a good job at just really treating the reader with respect and he doesn't baby you 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 have to follow it and figure out what's going on and it really works yeah it deepens the mystery it flushes it out more it gives these rich dimensions by trusting the reader it doesn't beat us over the head with clumsy exposition it just takes us on a very elegant ride hellboy is still being succumbed by sven he pulls out a, cr- a concussion grenade and he shoves it down the throat of the frog monster and that kind of he's able to free himself and get out of that pickle that he was in so that way he can actually try and stop Rasputin. And yeah, we cut to those weird aliens. And so who knows? Who knows what the story is? Well, that scene really them. sets up some high stakes. Only sure. one power can stop them, the power that created them and imprisoned them. You cut straight to Hellboy's hand. Yeah. You're like, okay, what's going on here? With, is it the hand? Like, what's going on with this hand? It's still at the center of the story. But where is that power? Right. Yeah, and we see the, the smoldering hand. And I love this in the background. You can kind of see Sven has been blown open. And it's not real gory. It's not real detailed. But you still get a good idea of, of the damage that's been done there. Well, going back to the uh, grenade that he uh, pulls out of his uh, belt, I like how he talks about how it was from, like, the Roland Hills Cemetery jobs six years ago. And what was that? He, d- he doesn't even know if it was... If it's still good. And it kind of just gives that weight that he's been doing yeah. this for a long time. Yeah. And he just kind of keeps items with him. For the first miniseries, they, we, we do get all this kind of throughout that, that builds Hellboy's credence with us and lets us know that he's experienced at what he does. Like the stuff in Batman's belt was actually interesting. Well, they right. say. And not just Bat-themed. <laughs> Hell Grenade. Well, what do you call it? No. <laughs> the boy grenade? No. Yeah. There you um, go. So as Rasputin's going on, one of these cocoons actually cracks. So, wow, you know, he's gotten very far in his mission. He's actually cracking the cocoons for the Agdra Jihad. Right as he's getting to the climax of his speech, he's impaled. And I love this kind of, he's just got a reaction shot. You don't really know what's going on. And then you turn the page and you kind of see the big harpoon sticking out of him. Also got to like point out, what is it with like bad wizards and always wanting to bring back the dark demons that people sealed away thousands <laughs> of years ago? I don't know, man. They're like, oh, they're going to kill everything and then I get to rule. I'm like, no, dude. I, I don't even think he's going to rule. I just think he's like, I don't know. I don't Some know. Some people it's a just real... want to watch the world burn. There you go. It's a real <laughs> obsession. It's a fixation. Yeah. I would... <laughs> I would like to see some sort of spinoff thing where all these guys are in therapy and you've just got a really nice, okay, so today we're going to talk about your your discovery that you made. What were you, <laughs> yes, it's an ancient text that I found in uh, what used to be Mesopotamia. Okay, and so, but why? Why, why do you want to destroy the world? What's, what's behind that? What happened to you? What happened to you in high school? Were, yeah. When you were a small boy. <laughs> Is it because... He kept stealing your lunch money. Well, it had something to do with being frozen and killed and thrown in the frozen I Neva guess so. or something like that. That would change a person. Well, I think it was like, what, stabbed, shot, hung, then thrown in the lake? There you go. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's all a, for it's just an wanting to get down, things. I think. Like, what did he do, really? <laughs> anyway, no. 
But there's a different – well, Abe saves the day, and then we get – Well, not exactly Abe, right? Because uh, yeah. Abe is in some kind of trance, That's and behind true. him the shadows speak. So we see that ghost of Elihu Cavendish, and Cavendish says, wake up, girl, and you see Liz open her eyes. So the and ghost then, saves the day is what we're then, doing now. And then, the, and then uh, everything just explodes into flames. So Liz – Rasputin and Saduhem all kind of burst into flame as Liz is woken up by this ghost. I also like how her re- reaction from waking up and being in this strange place is, bam, set yeah. this thing on fire. Just right. totally on fire. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it wasn't like a, a conscious, like, oh, I'm going to set everything on fire. Nope. It was more like a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Somebody was trying to hurt her, and now she can able to react. Right. right. I love this panel where it says, and then things start to happen very fast. Abe is a blue blur. And you can kind of see Abe jumping down to grab Liz. I love how on Liz you can see the collar and the these, like, wrist. The cuffs of her sleeves. There you go. Cuffs of her sleeves. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, it just looks really great. And most of it's black. Most of it is just silhouette. But you do get a lot of motion. You do get a lot of detail out of it. Saduhem's on fire. He's screaming. Abe tells him to make a run for it. Now, is Saduhem gendered? Is it, or I think it's just a screaming mass of no, tentacles. Yeah, screaming just, yeah. I, and I would go with a they on the Saduhem. <laughs> with him. a they, yeah. I think whenever we're talking about some Lovecraftian... Yeah, uh, it's probably a they. It's probably a they. So, yeah, everything's on fire here. So, yeah, um, everything's on fire. Everything's on fire. Um, our heroes have been able to escape, so they're they're making a run for it. They get out of there as the Cavendish Hall comes crashing down. So we've already kind of established that Cavendish Hall is sinking and that it's an old, uh, horrid building. So here it all comes crashing down under the under the weight of all this chaos going on underneath it. I also like how Abe is, as they're looking back at it, Abe's like, uh, you got to let me read your report on this, Hellboy. <laughs> um, that's yeah. if we get to write one. That, and that's true because Abe has been in a trance. He d- doesn't really remember what's going on. He was kind of being controlled by this ghost. So, but yeah. I like to sit, uh, you know, think like they're all back at, you know, headquarters and they're all typing up their report. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just a smash cut to just a very quiet office, some keys clicking. And this I was like, hey, do, do you going to finish that coffee? Yeah, I would like, like, maybe Abe, like, looking over to see what somebody else is writing. Right. Like, he looks over to another screen to kind of see. Someone stands up to go get something. Did you say something? No. <laughs> He's it's just very And does he type mundane. with his right hand to doom? Does he have to have a big typewriter? Can he type with it? Yeah. Is there other keys? <laughs> or is, or is giant, just, chunky keys. Or is he just doing the one-hand peck? <laughs> you know the... Those keyboards that are broken up into left and right sides. So maybe on this one, he's got like the like a heavy duty mechanical type <laughs> keyboard or something like that that can withstand the pressure. We need of the some fan stone art fingers. With this, I imagine he would just write it. I guess I don't know. So as ah. they make their escape, Hellboy says, "I don't think I'm done here yet." And here comes Rasputin for the final thing. It reminds me of a horror movie where you think the the villain's dead and then they just oh, yeah. pop out dun, again dun, dun. and he shoots flames at hellboy out of his mouth very which I godzilla think is crazy. nuclear mouth yes. moment oh yeah that is so awesome it's a very metal um if, 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 I was, super if, metal. I was in, if i was yeah. in a metal band i would want that as my album cover oh for sure <laughs> so hellboy and rasputin fight and there's the dialogue going on he says i've had it with you i didn't ask for any of this and so this is where Rasputin starts to kind of tell him, you will never understand the power inside of you. So kind of hinting at that there, Hellboy has a greater purpose, that he has greater power inside of him. I will see you crawl before me. This is not the end. And Hellboy beats him and he turns into a bunch of bones and then he crushes his skull. So that's a pretty 
that's a pretty final way to go. I figure if you beat me until I turn into a skeleton and then crush my skull, that's pretty much the end of me. We get this giant splash page with Elihu Cavendish again. This time he's not holding the harpoon. In every other one of the panels, we've seen him with the harpoon. And we see this cutaway with him and the whole kind of Cavendish Hall just blowing up, going up in flames. I also like how when Rasputin says to um, Hellboy, you will never understand the power inside of you, Hellboy says, yeah, you're right. Right. And he then proceeds, and proceeds to you know wail on him. And that's why he's our hero, because he doesn't care about personal whatever. He's like, I just got to get rid of this guy. This guy is worse than Nazis. <laughs> I got to get rid of him, and I don't care about the cost to me or whatever knowledge I may be foregoing, and that's something that we want in our hero. But it also goes to the place of the whole thing of, like, what's your destiny per... Uh, right. Is it, told, is it made out for you, or you choose it yourself? Exactly. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So we reconvene on the team. Um, they're all kind of talking about what happened. Abe describes that he thought he was looking at a statue of Elihu Cavendish. And all of a sudden, there was a harpoon sticking through a guy, and there was a really big monster. I love that. We kind of are ending quietly in reflection here until we get a different angle of what Rasputin says and Hellboy's, you know, remembering of this story. It's so impactful. It's really impactful, and it's really, you really feel like, well, the, well, Hellboy is our vehicle through this story, and you really feel as though it's happening to you in that moment when he's trying to come up with the words to describe this horrific yeah. experience they've all been through together. The story wraps up with a very, like, dun-dun-dun kind of a moment like you were talking about earlier. It's yeah. very like, oh, we're going to find out what happens next time to the Scooby gang. Right. I love how they're all talking here. Uh, Liz, Abe asks Liz if she's all right, and she says, I think so. In fact, I've, I feel better than I have in a long time. There's kind of this little this little picture of her, which I really like. I feel like. her on this. I feel yeah. her in this moment. Yeah, and, and it's just you really get a sense that these people are a team. They like each other. They're nice people. They, uh, they communicate with each other. They ask Hellboy, when you were alone with him, did he say anything? And Hellboy remembers all the things that Rasputin said that that uh, alluded to his greater destiny, but he says he he says nothing. And Liz calls him HB also, which I like. Yeah. Um, they I think they use it in the movie as well, calling him HB. Yeah. And so yes, that was the last thing that happened. Uh, Hellboy's rem- remembering Rasputin saying, "I will see you crawl before me. This is not the end." We cut over to some iced over castle. There's like a dead soldier in the ice. The Project Ragnarok logo turns on, starts beeping, and here we see some, um, some machines start going. Nazis. And some fucking Nazis are coming out. And we Fuck see, again, Nazis. Leopold Kurtz, Ilsa Hopstein, and Cronin. I guess they're being thawed out or they're being brought Boo. back or something by the Ragnarok engine. And that's where we end. So that was awesome, you guys. What what, what did you think about the ending of that story? I guess like I've been reading comics for... 30 plus years or so and I guess I've gotten a little tired of like the big two lately uh, just because you know it's like you know you get good stories and all that but then it's all of a sudden reset back to square one and you gotta start all over again and it's something about like this uh, comic's been going on for what 25 30 years now and it's never had a reset and so yeah I mean we've never got back to issue one again and so this is like you know just like a nice the beginning of a journey and I'm really looking forward to the journey because you know and that's really what the story should be it should be the journey along the way and so I mean and anywhere in the journey of your life have you ever stepped foot in the same place twice it's never you know you can't go back it's yeah I mean 
And I just like that there is no reboot. Yeah. I mean, just like life. <laughs> exactly. No, and that is that is something that's very unique about Mignola's Hellboy verse here. That I, I really, that's a great observation. I agree wholeheartedly. Great, great. That was that, that was a fun discussion. Do you have any other things that you want to say about Seed of Destruction? Wrap it up. Um, only, um, I've been reading this on the omnibus that I got uh, from Comixology through the I, through the. Um, Comicsology store on my iPad, and I was noticing that the color printing looks. Oh, we were talking different. about that. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. It's like lighter in some parts, and some parts it just looks completely different. What do you attribute that to? Do you think? Well, yeah, we were talking a little bit about that. So the original four issue miniseries, as well as the trade and the library edition, I believe that they use the colors by Mark Chiarello. Well, it even has Mark Chiarello listed as the colorist, and I think it's more of a. Um, way it was maybe printed as opposed to like the digital version oh, as opposed okay. to the, right. the, print, the four color because like you see that scene where the um elihu yeah. cavendish is uh sitting there uh and the, 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 the mansion, mansion is going crumbling. up it's like all purple in the um on the ipad right. on the omnibus on the book, edition it's got about this more of a kind of a wine red wine reddish color yeah, yeah. i kind of yeah. like the purple a little better yeah. I love this red, though. I love that yeah. red. But no, I, 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 that's a good catch. That That is probably something to do with the printing process. Yeah. If anybody knows, let us know. Yeah, let us know. And I also, that's one thing that we forgot to talk about earlier in the last on the last episode we were asking who had done the colors for the for the four page stories and so that was Matthew Hollingsworth he's the one that did those colors for the dog uh, in the gas station story and then the Herman von Klempt and the Brutus story I always make jokes about hordes of angry nerds descending and no but all the nerds that we interact with are super nice I love you you're very informative and polite so sorry yes. about thank you for giving yeah, us all not... that info and correcting us um, we do appreciate it we really do before we wrap up i thought it would be fun to talk about this celebrate history one pager that came out in october 90, 1994 this is between seed of destruction and wake the devil which is the next storyline and so this uh, celebrate diversity one pager it's kind of neat you can kind of both look at that it's just kind of Hellboy describing what just happened. He kind of gives a little synopsis on him. He gives a little synopsis on Abe. And then there's like, there's this uh, statue. He's got a killer t-shirt. Yeah, I love it. I like and how he's pointing he's to He's pointing it. to yeah. the logo. And uh, there's a little statue that says, great, what's next? And then uh, what does it say there, Aubrey? What is the owl saying? I love the owl. Hellboy, Wake the Devil, Murder in New York, Wax Museum, Leads to Vampires and Nazis. A four-issue <laughs> miniseries coming in yes. 1995. Interestingly, Wake the Devil did not come out till 1996, and it ends up being a five-issue miniseries. If you want to look at that Celebrate Diversity one-pager, I'll have it posted on all of our social media guys. If you want to check that out, it's a really cool page, um, and it really nicely sets us up to go into the next storyline. That was a really fun episode, everybody. So now Aubrey's going to say all the things. So, tell us your thoughts on Seed of Destruction. Did you enjoy it? Did it get you excited to go on the journey to come? Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Join the book club on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. On our next episode, we'll be discussing Wake the Devil. So pull out your back issues, trades, library editions, omnibuses, or download the digitals to do your homework and follow along with us. You can also find the podcast at Podbean and on Apple iTunes. And let us know your podcast service of choice and we'll be there too. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. Daniel Renee. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, uh, sir, you have frogs. <laughs>